It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what it's telling you that there's going to be a lot of people coming before Jesus and they'll be saying, Lord, Lord. They'll be saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's what they'll be saying to him. They'll be looking at him and rejoicing. This is my Lord. But he says about these people, this certain people, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the... It doesn't say only he who's under hyper grace and you can't lose your salvation no matter how hard you try. It doesn't say that. It says only he who does the... Quick, say it with me. Will. Only he who does the will. Now, is this Rob saying this? This is the scripture saying this. Only those go to heaven who do the will. To do the will, you've got to know the Father. If you don't know the Father, you can't do the will of God, can you? If you don't know Jesus, you can't know the will of Jesus. You can't do his will. Therefore, you're going to get there and he'll say to you, you did not do my will. So how do you do the will? Well, the, the will of God is revealed clearly in scripture. I might even do a sermon. What is the will of God or the the will of God would be a good sermon so we can get it real clear in our mind what the will of God is. But one of the things that he wills is that we please him in everything by our life and our conduct and everything about us. By the way that we approach him in prayer, the way we approach him with scripture reading, by the way we turn from sin and stop living in sin and we start living like him. We become, uh, you know, he was the first among many brothers he was the firstborn among many brothers and he would, we would be captives in his train and we'll follow him and we'll live like him. The way he went into heaven and the purity of which he went to heaven is how we should attempt and, and strive to live. You know, Paul says about pressing on towards the goal to win the prize. He strains towards what is ahead, straining towards what is ahead, forgetting what is behind, forgetting your old life. Don't live like that. Strain towards what is ahead. He uses these words about, you know, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He said, I don't think I've already got it. Even though in my heart I know I'm saved, I don't think I'm there yet. God promises you eternal life. Just live according to my will. That's all he asks. Live according to my will. Don't stray. Don't go astray. Don't live according to the will of Satan. And if you live according to my will, you will receive eternal life. Guaranteed. But if you live according to Satan and you do everything that Satan wants you to do, you won't receive it. And that's why he says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says this, just to add to that, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? In your name. So this person believed that they were prophets. They believed that they were prophet, had the, uh, the gift of prophecy. Do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. So they had the power to drive out demons out of people. And perform miracles. They were miracle workers. And then what does Jesus say to them? Who knows this scripture? And I'll tell them plainly, say it with me. Get away. You evildoers or get away, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You know, that scares the life out of me, guys. I know there's two two soldiers here. Soldiers or ex-soldiers? Both ex-soldiers. They're the tough-looking guys at the back there. <laughs> tough, but the softest hearts in the world. 
and um, and, and Anthony, you look like a soldier too, so I'll just throw it in there with him. But when you joined the, joined the Australian Army, were you prepared to die for your country? Yeah? You'd be crazy if you joined the Australian Army and weren't prepared to die for your country, wouldn't you? I tried joining, and I wasn't prepared to die for my country. They didn't take me. You have to be prepared to die. You've got to lay your life down for your country to defend your country, don't you? That's what it's all about. Now, thank God you guys didn't die in battle. But your hearts were prepared for it, if need be. And if your leg got blown off, you couldn't turn to your commanding officer and say, what is this? I've never signed up for this. You know, you can't do that. You, you have to be ready to die. Now, you're, you're, you guys were ready to die for your country. How much more should we be prepared to die for our Lord? Right? Can your country save you from hell? Can your country keep you out of the death realm? So who's greater to be prepared to die for than, than Jesus? Jesus is the greatest. He can keep you out of hell. He can keep you from death. That's, that's why the scriptures always talk about Christians who die as being in a sleep. They sleep. They sleep. Their bodies sleep until the resurrection because they get them back. So James 1 verse 10, and we'll just quickly scoot through that uh, passage and then we'll start uh, looking at each verse individually. So James 1.10, and it says, I can find it. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed, oh sorry, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Keep those words in mind. Sin, when, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's important. Okay. Pretty powerful few scriptures there. The book of James is, a, is a, I find, one of the most mind-blowing books of the Bible. Who, who would agree who finds when they read it that it just sort of hits them right in the face sort of thing in a nice way you know if you can be hit in the face yeah. in a nice way yeah. but it has got some very comforting words but it also has some very you know strict words in there too meaning telling the Christian how to live and that's important I think today more than ever the Christian should be advised on the best way to live according to scripture amen should we be told that you're under grace you know you're fine. Should we be told that we can just do whatever we want to do? No. But 
there, there is definitely in the scriptures there are so many directions on life. And isn't that what it's all about? How to live a better life? Isn't that what it's all about? You know, we, we're not put here to serve Christ and just to not be changed and transformed. We're, be, we're here to be transformed. Amen. We're here to be a, a set apart people, a people set apart for the glory of God. That's the reason we were created, and that's the reason Jesus died on the cross. That's the reason we're meant to, uh, or how we're meant to serve God. Amen. So let's look a little bit deeper into this. Uh, verse 10 to 11, if you, if you keep your Bibles open, just don't shut them, and that way you can sort of keep a close look on this. I want you to check me out all the way, and I want everyone to be Bereans in this. Don't just accept everything I say and go home and say, Rob's just saying the truth. Go home and look me up. Check me out. Double check me, triple check me. And, uh, but don't do it by listening to some other minister. Do it by looking in the Word of God. You know what I mean? Because it is it the well the minister will save you if he preaches from the word. If he doesn't use the word properly, he won't save you. Because it says, watch your life and doctrine closely. This is in 1 Timothy. Watch your life, the way you live, and your doctrine closely, for if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So if you don't watch your life and your doctrine closely, if my doctrine's incorrect and my life is incorrect, I won't save myself or my hearers. That's the inference that can be made from, from that scripture. So how important is it? Who would like to know that they've been a Christian for 70 years or 80 years of their life, died and don't go to heaven? Would that be terrible? I've been a Christian for 80 years and the Jesus says, you've never known me and I've never known you. Get away from me, you evildoer. Is that going to happen? Does Scripture say it? Or which one is the most important one that says it? Matthew? 7. 7? 21? 23. No, 21 to 23. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. At least Matthew pays attention in this room. Yeah, that's true. It's in the book. He knows every scripture in the book of Matthew. (laughs) Now, let's turn to Matthew just quickly. I want to just run over that. These are important words. The Lord left some very, very, very pertinent words and they're they're left there not to scare the life out of us but to scare the sin out of us and scare the life or probably put the life into us. That's what it is. You want eternal life. If you want eternal life, something's got to change. God doesn't give eternal life to someone who doesn't want to change. God doesn't give eternal life to a dirty, rotten sinner who doesn't stop sinning. He gives eternal life to someone who repents of his sin and keeps with his repentance. He keeps with it. What's keeping with repentance? What does that mean? It's in the scriptures. Keep with repentance. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does keeping with repentance mean? Repentance means to turn away from sin. So if just say you're a, you're a drug addict. You turn away. You don't do it anymore. And then keeping with repentance is continuing not to take drugs. That's what it means, to continue to not take drugs. The, uh, let's just go to this scripture because it's important. We've all read it a few times in, if you've been in this church for a while. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what it's telling you, that there's going to be a lot of people coming before Jesus and they'll be saying, Lord, Lord. They'll be saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's what they'll be saying to him. They'll be looking at him and rejoicing. This is my Lord. But he says about these people, this certain people, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the... Does it say only he who is under grace? Does it say only he who is under hyper grace? And you can't lose your salvation no matter how hard you try? Does it say that? It says only he who does the... Quick, say it with me. Will. Only he who does the will. Now, is this Rob saying this? No. This is the scripture saying this. Only those go to heaven who do the will. To do the will, you've got to know the Father. If you don't know the Father, you can't do the will of God, can you? If you don't know Jesus, you can't know the will of Jesus. You can't do his will. Therefore, you're going to get there and he'll say to you, you did not do my will. So how do you do the will? Well, the, the will of God is revealed clearly in Scripture. I might even do a sermon. What is the will of God? Or the, the will of God would be a good sermon. So we can get it real clear in our mind what the will of God is. But one of the things that it's, he wills is that we please him in everything by our life and our conduct and everything about us. By the way that we approach him in prayer, the way we approach him with scripture reading, by the way we turn from sin and stop living in sin and we start living like him, we become... Uh, you know, he was the first among many brothers. He was the firstborn among many brothers, and he would we will be captives in his train, and we'll follow him, and we'll continue, live like him. The way he went into heaven, and the purity of which he went to heaven, is how we should attempt and, and strive to live. You know, Paul says about pressing on towards the goal to win the prize. He strains towards what is ahead, straining towards what is ahead, forgetting what is behind, forgetting your old life. Don't live like that. Strain towards what is ahead. He uses these words about, you know, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He said, I don't think I've already got it. Even though in my heart I know I'm saved, I don't think I'm there yet because it's, it's the, the analogy I used. I was just did a video on an analogy I used. There's someone says to you, in five years' time, if you do this, this, and this, and this, you're going to get a car. It's yours. Guaranteed you're going to get this beautiful Porsche in five years' time if you do this, this, and this, and this. And you go, well, they're easy things to do. I'll do it. Now, what happens after two years if you stop doing those things? The guy who wants to give you the Porsche, what does he say? When you go to get your Porsche after five years, he'll say, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. I promised you that Porsche if you did fulfilled these conditions that are laid down. But after two years, you stopped doing it. Do you know if you had started again a year out, I would have still given you the Porsche, but you stopped doing it. You stopped living according to the way I asked you to live. And therefore you went astray. And now you expect this beautiful Porsche. It's like that with God. God promises you eternal life. Just live according to my will. That's all he asks. Live according to my will. Don't stray. Don't go astray. Don't live according to the will of Satan. And if you live according to my will, you will receive eternal life. Guaranteed. But if you live according to Satan and you do everything that Satan wants you to do, you won't receive it. And that's why he says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says this, just to add to that, 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? So this person believed that they were prophets. They believed that they were prophets, had the, uh, the gift of prophecy. Do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? So they had the power to drive out demons out of people and perform miracles. They were miracle workers. And then what does Jesus say to them? Who knows this scripture? Then I'll tell them plainly, say it with me, get away. You evildoers will get away, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You know, that scares the life out of me, guys. That scares the life out of me. I don't want to get to heaven and say, Lord, didn't I, you know, conduct church every week for Blessed Hope Chapel? Didn't I preach my, my, you know, preach my guts out? Week in, week out, week in, week out. And I didn't care if there was five people I preached. And I gave it my all, all the time. And then he'll say, get away from you, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. There's no recourse at that point. There's no recourse. I don't assume just because I preach, and I don't assume just because I can, I understand the scripture that I'm saved, in, in, as in at, obtained it. I consider myself saved in if I stick with what God has revealed to me, if I stay the course, if I don't let go, if I don't recant, if I don't turn away from the truth, if I don't turn away from Jesus and start testifying that Jesus is not God, how many Christians, put up your hand if you know a Christian who used to believe Jesus was God and now doesn't. Put up your hand if you know some. Yeah? I know, I know quite a few. You get to know them as a minister. You get emails from them. I grew up in the church. I, I followed Jesus passionately. I loved him with all of my heart. I lived for him for 30 years. And then I realised it's all false. I now follow Muhammad. He's God. I was deceived all those years. I'm like, whoa. He turned away from the truth and started to follow a lie. Does it happen? Who knows it happens? Yeah. And, and you know, as, as children of parents with, you know, parents are following Christ, it doesn't mean you're saved. You've got to follow Christ. Amen. You've got to follow Christ. You, you're not going to be... Judge through another person. Someone else is not going to stand up on your behalf. Except Jesus Christ, if you're in the will of God, if you're in the will of God and you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, and you know when you're in Christ, who knows when they're in Christ? Put up the hand if, they, if you know when you're in Christ. Not many of you, obviously. Put up your hand if you know you're in Christ. This is a salvation call, guys. If you believe you're in Christ, put up your hand. Yeah. You need to be in Him, living in Him. And this is important. You know, what did Jesus say? That when he comes, if, if you've been ashamed of him in your life, he'll be ashamed of you. If you find serving Christ and, and you know, believing that you're in, in it for Christ and, and, and you're going to live this Christian life, and if you're ashamed of him, if you're embarrassed to testify that he is God, he's going to be ashamed of you. Who, who among you have ever, have ever felt a little bit embarrassed to say that you're a Christian? Have, who's been in a situation where you've been eating dinner with some certain people, just a certain kind of people, and you're just a little bit embarrassed to mention that you're a Christian? The sort of it goes, the topic goes that way, and you're sort of like, well, let's steer it away from this. I just don't want to give them this funny impression that I'm a Christian. 
Yeah? As we're older, we're getting less and less like that, aren't we? We're getting more bold and bold, bolder and bolder in the faith, aren't we? You know, I'm proud to be a Christian. I don't care if this, the atheist doesn't like it. I, I enjoy telling them because I like to see the reaction. I follow Jesus. <laughs> Just see what they do. But when you're younger, the hard part is for the young ones. It's hard for the youngies, isn't it? Because they have to go to school and it's not cool to be Christian. You can go to Christian schools. You know how many Christian schools you can go to and it's not cool to be Christian? <laughs> Being a teacher's at a Christian school. She knows all about it. So it's not cool. You, you're nearly considered a, a you know, do-gooder or something, you know. Goody two-shoes or something. I don't say that anymore, do they? Goody two-shoes. Don't they, No. But um, Christ can be unpopular, but... How many, of, how many of you, ask yourself this question, how many of you recently, when you've been in a situation where the opportunity was to tell someone about Christ and you were too scared to because you didn't want to bring the, give the wrong impression? Yeah? Yeah. It's easy. Should, it be, should that be? Now, I haven't done my sermon, haven't I? I've completely strayed from the sermon. And I just, look, I, I'm always, I always say to the Holy Spirit when we're praying, Lord, take, take a hold of this meeting. If you want me to go according to what I've prepared, I'll follow it. But if something prompts me, because, you know, in a normal situation, I won't just rave on for like half an hour. Normal life, if you, you won't see, hear me speaking like this in normal life. But the moment I get behind this pulpit and I turn on this microphone and I say, okay, let's get on with it, all of a sudden... A flood of words come into my mouth. And I don't attribute... No, I'm sure there's a fair bit of me. Anything that's imperfect, that's obviously coming from me. But anything that's coming out of my mouth that's perfect is from God and God alone. I can't take any credit for it. It's just that I allow myself to be this vessel. So if I come up here and you're all getting excited, oh, Rob's going to do this verse-by-verse -verse study, then all of a sudden, oh, here he goes. He's on a tangent 20 minutes later. He hasn't started the first verse yet. But is it important? Do I cut off the Holy Spirit? Or do I preach what I'm preaching because I feel the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us in a certain way? Who wants to hear from God this morning? Yeah? Who wants to hear from God? Who's willing to be humbled before a holy God? Yeah, absolutely. Who is willing to say, okay, God, let you, you, you be true and every man a liar. Let me be a liar and you're the truth. Who's willing? To humble themselves. Who's willing to say, hey Lord, maybe I'm not meeting up to your exacting standards. Maybe I'm falling short. Maybe I need to change something in my life. Who's willing to let God change them? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. Because when you come to church, if you're not willing to be changed, you're going to end up despising me. But you're not despising me, you're despising the Holy Spirit. Because if God's speaking through me, if you think I, God speaks through me, which I, I actually... I've got pretty, plenty of evidence because I don't... Tessa, do I speak like this at home? No. She doesn't hear me, you know, stand up. Listen to you! <laughs> I don't sort of talk like that unless we're having an argument. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't speak like this in normal. So my point is this. If you come in to hear from God, let God speak to you even if it cuts like a knife. But I tell you, one thing about God is if he has to do surgery... He's excellent at it. But you've got to be willing to lay on his table. You've got to be willing to let him do the spiritual surgery. Okay, maybe this, I'm not perfect in every element. Maybe he's got to do this, 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 and this, and this in me to change me so I can become more and more like him. 
Maybe there's some gunk in my life I've got to get rid of. But if you're feeling in your spirit, as, as I'm talking, you're feeling, oh, I just can't stand hearing this sort of stuff. This is really aggravating me. I don't want to hear it. Then you've got to deal with God. And you can probably deal with me too. Come up to me afterwards and say, I don't believe it's in the scriptures and then you'll get another lecture. <laughs> well, I'll try to convince you. But it's in there, isn't it? Is it in there, Matthew? Same, yep. Same, same to me. <laughs> Unless we've got a different Bible than the original. It's translated. The translations can be different. Who would know? You know, Anthony, you've got a different translation to this one, don't you? So it looks a little bit weird sometimes. You know, oh, where does that go? You know? Yeah, yeah, not try to follow it because it's distracting. Yeah. yeah. I use um, a really old NIV. Um, and I, I'm not a big fan of the modern NIVs. And I'm not, um, I'm actually pro most translations um, because I think every translation has got some benefit to it. Um, and I'm not a King James only guy. Who knows about King James only? They're a fiery bunch. Cool. Gee, they get, get on the internet and they really go for your jugular and your... You know, they... Why aren't you reading King James? Well, <laughs> maybe because I want to speak to the younger generation today and they might not understand the full context of the King James. You know, I think it's more about getting the gospel into the heart than being overly concerned with the translation. If we can get people transformed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God... Let it be an NIV or a King James. I got saved with an NIV. And I still believe Jesus is Lord, even if Jesus is Lord has been translated Lord enough times in here for a King James liking. Right. Anyone who knows this argument is yeah. laughing. That's why um, Yako over there is, is laughing, because he can... You know it. You've, you've been on... Had arguments online? Yeah. All right, so verse 10 to 11 in that verse is talking about the rich fading away. Verse 12 talks about that you receive a crown. A crown goes to the persevering. Now, verse 13 is God cannot be tempted, and God cannot tempt. And verse 14 is our evil desires tempt us. And verse 15 is desire leads to sin, which leads to death. James 1, 10 to 11, we'll just quickly brief it again, because I've talked for so long on a different path, and it says... But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Amplified says this, And the rich person ought to glory in being humbled, ought to glory in it, by being shown his human frailty, because they're only just human after all, you know, Rupert Murdoch has billions and billions of dollars, but he's a human and, he, and he's going to die like the rest of us, even though he's, he's hoping his money will keep him alive forever, but it's not going to. Um, and he could, you know, be in a car accident and die, so he's frail, isn't he? Um, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun comes up with a scorching heat and parches the grass. Even uh, Its flower falls off and its beauty fades away. Even so will the rich man wither and die in the midst of his pursuits. The rich man will wither and die. Let's have a look at Matthew 19. 19, 16. It says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And he says, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. 
if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. I won't, I won't go discussing that right now because that leads a lot of people to think he's not God. If you want to enter life, what does it say? Obey the commandments. And people say, oh, well, that's pre-grace. That's a pre-grace statement. You don't have to obey the commandments to be saved. Oh, that means you don't have to obey do not murder. Is that what it means? Do not commit adultery. That's the commandments he's talking about. Because the commandments are all, are all moral. They're all moral based. It's all based around things that we do and things that we shouldn't, or shouldn't. things that we shouldn't do. <laughs> things that we shouldn't do. And then the rich man said, which one? Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect... So if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The interesting thing is the early church, what were they doing? They were selling their possessions and giving to the poor. They wanted to be perfect. So they took that very literally. In the book of Acts, you'll find that they were selling properties and laying their money at the disciples' feet, all this sort of stuff. And the disciples were distributing it to everyone who had need. And they were looking after the poor. There was no needy among them in the early Christian church. So they took those words of Jesus very literally. Then came, then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I think that's... I'm going to a bit more. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now my interpretation of that is, how do you get, um, hard for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle? How do you get a rich man through the eye of a needle? With man it's impossible, isn't it? Because by the time you thread the man through the eye of the needle we won't be able to put them back together again. You know, it's logical, isn't it? You thread a whole man through the oven, he will not be, we won't be able to put him back together. But who can? God. God can put you through the oven needle. Who's ever been through a really, really major trial in life and you feel like you have been broken down and shredded and everything is just, you know, you've been emptied like a drink offering, as Paul would say? If you're emptied like a drink offering, that means you could pour, be poured through the eye of a needle. See, trials do that. Trials have a way of breaking down the man or breaking down the woman. You know what I mean? Some of us, um, we don't like it when we go have trials. We don't like it. We say, why is God doing this to me? Well, maybe he wants to get you through the eye of a needle. And I'm not talking, well, in the sense of a rich man, if, if any of those people in those times had met any one of us, and from their time, and they just saw you, and just say your house and life was transported back in time, and your house suddenly appeared on the block, back when Jesus walked on the earth, and you walked out, and you had your beautiful car, and you had everything there, would they not consider you rich? Would they have not looked at you and said, man, what's that thing in the laundry? You, it does the washing for you. Man, you must be rich. You know what I mean? got a dishwasher you know you've got a fridge keeps everything cool we have to salt everything and keep it in a cupboard and keep the flies off it do you know what i mean 
So in comparison, we are the rich men. We are the rich men and the rich women. And you know, that's why revival is so difficult to get going in our sort of society. Because we're all rich. We need to be broken down and squeezed through the eye of a needle. And then we need God to put us back together. Because in all this wealth, all this abundance, we can lose sight of God. We don't need Him. Or don't need Him as much. Amen. So what does a God do? He allows us to go through trials. He allows us to go through things that cause us to be dependent upon Him. He allows life not to be so rosy. He allows it. He doesn't tempt us. He doesn't do any of that. He just allows things to happen. He lets nature take its course, in a sense, in our life until we start to reach out to Him. Amen? Who can see that? So to get through the eye of a needle, God's got to break us down. We've got to, in a sense, fall on the rock and be broken to pieces. You know, And if that doesn't happen, He's going to fall on us and crush us. I'd rather fall on the rock willingly, just jump on the rock, be broken to pieces, be broke, break my heart, Lord, so that you can put it back together, or remove my heart of stone and replace it with a, a heart of flesh. Amen. So Matthew, uh, Jesus was talking about a rich man, and, and in a sense, we've, we're all rich, and we've got to uh, be uh, aware of that. Be aware of that. You know, we don't have millions and millions of dollars. We're not mega rich. But we're pretty well off, most of us. Even if you're in, in one of the worst, you know, um, housing commission areas or whatever, you're still better off than a lot of the people living in those times. Yeah. A lot of people living today. A lot, yeah, a lot of people living today in a lot of countries. How many, you know, uh, ref, refugees at the moment would love to come and occupy some of the worst houses in Elizabeth? You know what I mean? Because to them, it would be like, a, oh, my own mansion. You know, we would see it as like, oh, man, what a terrible part of town. They see it as, man, this is so much of a step up. Such a great step up. You know, we can't even afford a tent back home. You know, I can't even feed my children in the morning when they're crying. You know? Luke twelve fifteen. Then he said to me, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Be, be Watch out and keep on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Andy and Sharon, I want to ask you a question. Before you start coming to this church, these scriptures that I bring up pretty regularly here, how often did you hear them at the church you used to go to? Very rare. Very rarely? You wouldn't hear these sorts of scriptures brought up because they don't entertain large crowds. You know, that's why I don't think I'll get an invite to some mega churches. Pray that I will. That would be good, wouldn't it? Scare them all out. They run out screaming. Who is this guy? He's preaching that I'm, I'm petitioning. Maybe I'll lose my salvation. I can't sin anymore. What? Watch out. Be on your guard. Jesus is saying it. Jesus is harder than me. Tell you what, if Jesus was here preaching right now, you guys would be on your faces in tears. Sure, he'll embrace you, love you, but he'll be on, you'll be on your faces because he will have that much stuff to bring up with you that you would have to repent like crazy. And my way of thinking is, bring it to us now, Lord. Give it to us now so we don't stand before you on that day and he looks at us 
and says, I'm not happy with you at all. You don't want to get to heaven and be found wanting. You don't want to get there, risk it. Uh, maybe Rob's not talking the truth, so I'll just risk it. I'll, I'll keep listening to the itching ear preachers, the good feel messages, the stuff that sounds good, sounds nice. And then I'll risk it and I'll hope that they're true and I'll go to heaven and stand before it. You don't want to end up there, do you? You don't want to end up standing before God and, and Jesus looks at you and says, Get away from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You never did the will of the Father. And Jesus talks about a terrible, terrible place. Terrible. So isn't it better that we get right with God now? Get right with God now and change. Amen? And change. Be transformed. Let God do His work in you. Let God bring you to repentance. Let God turn you to live according to His will. If there's things you're doing and you know you shouldn't do them, just give them up. Just give them up. I don't know why I keep going here. I'm just, I'm just saying it. I'm not looking at anyone individually because I don't know anyone's private life. Seriously, if I did, I'd be God, wouldn't I? I'm the present Rob. I saw you the other night. <laughs> I'm not there. Seriously, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Andy could have secret stuff. We don't know it. I'm not saying you do, Andy. Surfing. I'm just Surfing. I'm just roasting you right now. <laughs> He's sweating right now. <laughs> it's better to sweat in front of Rob than sweat in front of God. That's yeah, that nearly rhymed. It is. It's better to sweat in front of Rob or anyone who's going to preach, you know, a fire message. Amen. Because that's what I feel with this one. I'm getting hot. He's getting hot. I turned it on. I don't know if it's working. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Oh, there's a new one. Hey, girls. A woman's life does not consist of the amount of clothing and shoes you have. Yeah, don't, don't change the words. Amen. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Don't want to start doing that. That's, yeah. Just elaborating. Yeah. Elaborating. All their highlights. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Let's not bring the Hilux into it, Matthew. It's got nothing to do with the Hilux I drive. It doesn't have to do with any of the things that you own. These are the abundance of our possessions don't have anything to do with your life. Or, or, or the a man's life does not consist of. What does a man's life consist of then? What does a man's life consist of? Relationship with God. Relationship with God. You know when it comes down to it, this is what I've always said, it's when you come to the, the point where you're passing on from this life, do you think when you're about to pass on that you're going to say, bring me my favourite car that I just worked so hard. Bring it to me. It'll bring me comfort. <laughs> or bring me my wardrobe of clothes. That'll bring me comfort. Give me so much comfort. <laughs> yeah, your shoes. Just stack them all over here. Let me gaze upon them. You don't get, you won't get any of that. You don't you you can't say, bring me my career. Wheel my career into the room so I can look at what I've done. You don't think like that. Sure, you say bring me my loved ones. But can your loved ones save you? You want your loved ones there, sure. Who doesn't want their loved ones there? But can they save you? So who would a man or a woman cry out to? Well, at that point, 
The most important thing at that point should be the most important thing at this point. It's all about God. Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Crunch time. Have what I believed up until this point, has it got me saved? If there's any doubt, if there's any doubt, you've got to get right. And if you're hearing some of the doctrines that I'm teaching for the first time, don't just for a start, don't assume I'm saying the truth. Go home and check me out. But who's not, we've done a New Testament survey of scriptures relating to salvation and holiness. How many have I gone through, guys? Book after book after book after book after book. And I still aren't finished. Hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that relate salvation and holiness connected. There's a clear connection in scripture. And we've gone through hundreds. And most of the scriptures, when you hear them in preached, you'll be thinking, I haven't really heard that scripture preached before. How has it been? I've been in church for 30 years and that scripture hasn't come up. You know, and I'm talking about churches that don't preach that stuff. If you've been in a church where you're getting it, South Africa, you get it. Don't you? You hear it over there. Uh, not these days. Uh, not these days. I've heard that they used to, they were very strong on the repentance and sin message. But these days it's very... Mm. It's watery what you get. Watery. Yeah. They preach what people want to, yeah. Yeah, okay, so they're going for numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Which is um, what's happened in America. Yes. I've got messages all the time from America, and they're saying there is not a single church anywhere that preaches about repentance, preaches about sin, preaches about hell, preaches about the judgment, etc. Not a church. Some of you that have been with, with me for a long time, you're used to it now, aren't you? You hear it every weekend. Yeah. It's important, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. Bill. That's the type in California, Bridges. Oh, of course. <laughs> and don't forget Charles There's a Lawson. Hey? Charles Lawson. Oh, Charles Lawson. Yeah, there are other churches. Like, that's where I'd be going. I'd, be, I'd move to the states where that church is. Yeah, Charles Lawson and uh, Joe Schimmel, of course, preaches it. Um, and there's others too. I can't, the, the names escape me at the moment. But there's others, and they're the ones that I've listened to that get, gives me the confidence to go. Yes, I must be on the right track. Because if they're all preaching it, and these are the best preachers in the world, I consider, then I'm going to keep preaching, preaching it too. Paul Washer. Paul Washer. Yes. I don't know if you've moved. I won't go to him. I love Paul Washer. He really does wash you with the message of Paul. Yeah. Like Luke 15. That's 12, 15. All right. And, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there, there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Then, oh, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. If you store up things for yourself. Now, uh, preachers love to use that one as a, you know, give more in the offering. I won't preach that. Because <laughs> um, it's not about giving more in the offering. Storing up what? We could be storing up time to ourselves. Because if you look at the things that he's storing up, he said to myself, I have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. In a sense, 
do my own thing, don't do God's thing. Take life easy. And that's how it will be if anyone who stores up things. What will happen? Their life will be demanded from them and they won't have stored up treasure in heaven and therefore they could easily lose their salvation. Who knows we live in an epidemic of this kind of reasoning? You know, superannuation, preparing for retirement, getting everything together so we don't have to worry about money, stuff like that. What do we do? And everyone says, I just want to take it easy. I just want to take it easy. Cruise through the rest of my life. And how many people, you know, and you've, you've heard of stories, and I know, we know people that, you know, within six months of retiring, they're dead. It's like, God, I just fulfilled this, this example right in their life. Babe, this life, your life is demanded of you. So what should we do? We should store up for God. We should give to God. We've got to live for God now. Not live for God when we're just about to die. We've got to live for God now. We've got to live, live for, give everything to God now. And when I say everything, it doesn't mean you don't study. It doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean that you don't um, live life to the best of your ability. What it does is it's a change of your attitude towards your allegiance. Who are you in allegiance with? Do you live to do really naughty things on Friday night? Is that what you look forward to? I hate Monday, I hate Tuesday, I hate Wednesday, I hate Thursday, but thank God it's Friday. Why? Because we're going out to get drunk. Friday night. And I'm saying that because a lot of Christians do that. I don't know anyone in here that does it. But who used to live like that? Who used to live for Friday night? And then, oh, Saturday night's even better because then you can sleep in on Sunday. And you can sleep in on Saturday morning if you don't have to work. So it was... The whole culture, is that the culture today? I'm not saying anything new to you. I'm just pointing it out. Is that the culture today? Does everyone live for Friday and Saturday? Yeah. But are we meant to? We're meant to live for who? For God. We're meant to live for God. Sure, have a good time on Friday night. Go and have a nice dinner. Don't get drunk. You know? But live for God. Live for God in righteousness. Amen. Alright, I'm not going to... Actually, I'm just going to finish on this last one. And I'll just read straight away. I'll just read the uh, Amplified Version. Blessed, happy, and to be envied is the man who is patient under trials and stands up, stands up under temptation. For when he has stood the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He will receive the victor's crown of life. And uh, everyone who loves God will have trials. Yeah? yeah? Could you say you've had trials? Yeah? Even the young ones, do you think you've had trials? Had trials at school? Things that, you know, um, kids could be picking on you, you know, teasing, all that sort of stuff. Could have lots of trials. We, should, we, we all go through stuff. Who's had deaths in the family? Yeah? We're all going through trials. There's different levels of trials, isn't there? There's little trials, the little daily trials, like you have to ring Optus to talk about something to do with your phone bill. That's a little trial. That's a big trial. We just put you on hold. You know? And, and you're just sitting there with that music. It just drives you crazy. Do you know if I, that music was probably potentially really good music? But I don't know, by the time you've done half an hour of it, you hate that music. If you ever hear that music, it's like something goes off in you. Like you get angry. They had that same music for 10 years. Yeah, they have. They have. I've noticed that. You know, they change it like a different track every day or something. Yeah. But who's had those sorts of... These are little trials, but do they test you? They test you. 
What happens when you, you go off to work and you put your keys in the, in the car and you start it up and you pull out on the road? What happens then? You just go straight into a trial. Mm. <laughs> you grow horns. <laughs> you grow horns. Something happens. The spirit of the road comes upon you. Yeah, it's, it's a terrible place sometimes, isn't it? Especially in peak hour traffic. And you're just jammed and it's like, I've got five minutes and I've got to get from here to the other side of town. How is that possible? And there's road workers and they've got it down to 25 kilometres an hour and it's a two-lane into a single lane and guess what? They're all standing around chatting. That just aggravates you even more. That's a trial. And you've got to go past and say, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what you've got to do. Right. Now, intense trials. I forgot to get the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm going to finish on this. So I thought I'd finish on a good one. So give me two seconds. I'm back. <laughs> when I'm in there, I'm going, oh, I've got to walk back out. <laughs> I feel so stupid. I'll get the books out next time in advance. Right, now... Yeah, we've been really professional today, yes. man. It was a tambourine <laughs> incident. Right, yeah. All right, now I'm going to just read, like, when I opened up the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I wanted to find a single story about trials. And every page you turn to, there's a brilliant story. Who's read the Fox's Book of Martyrs? Just nod your head, yeah, there's a few of you. Um, if you haven't, it's, it's an absolute, absolute must-read. Absolute must-read. There was a time... You know, a uh, hundred years ago or so, Christians, when they, they, they always spoke of three books that every Christian library had on their shelf, and it was always the Scriptures, the Bible. Uh, it was uh, Pilgrim's Progress, was always on every, every Christian's bookshelf, and Fox's Book of Martyrs. So when I read that, I went, I'm going out to buy Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's all I, I need to inspire me to go and do something like that. Now, I bought this 20 years ago. I've read it, uh, I think, nearly two times. Um, it's an ordeal to read, but by the end of it, you've got a completely different, renewed understanding of Christianity. You cannot be the same Christian after reading this, because you realise, wow, for a start, how good have we got it? How good have we got it? So I'm going to read this story. It's from the second persecution under Emperor Domitian. He was the emperor that, during the time of John, the uh, John, uh, the Apostle John. And the Apostle John, uh, if you remember, if you know his, the account, he was put into a vat of boiling oil to martyr him. And uh, when uh, the Emperor Domitian was there and they saw him put him in a vat of boiling oil, it didn't harm him. So the, John was like, uh, you know, lifted up out of the oil. And Emperor Domitian, it blew his mind to such a degree, he says, send that man to Patmos. Send him out to the prison on Patmos. Well, it was considered the whole place was the prison. So that's where he went as a result of, of that. That's, that's what tradition says. And, and it's pretty good, reliable uh, information because there's plenty written about it. Um, because he was also the last of the disciples, of the original 12 disciples, he was the last one to be alive. And he died a natural death, according to, script, uh, according to uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs in the church tradition. But Emperor Domitian was that emperor. And Domitian was a cruel person who killed his own brother and brought the second persecution against Christians. The second. There was a great persecution before that. I, I chose to read this one instead. In his hatred, Domitian issued an order that no Christian 
once brought before the tribunal, should be exempted from punishment without renouncing his religion. You know, did you hear that? You imagine that this order comes from our Prime Minister and he says, and he, he makes it a, a, a law, and, well, you can imagine it in America, being made a law and it coming through, but our Prime Minister probably wouldn't have enough pull to do it. But if it just say it happened, that it made, was made law, that no Christian, suddenly the Christians are singled out, and it says no Christian once brought before the tribunal should be exempted from punishment without renouncing his religion. So what they do is they round up every Christian in Australia. They round them up. They do a, a, and it wouldn't take them long because we've all filled out you know, censuses and you know, things like that. They all know who the Christians are, and, and it wouldn't be hard. You'd go around churches on Sunday and come with me, please. All right? They round us all up. And if they don't renounce Christ, they will be punished severely. This is what was happening. This is what actually happened. You imagine it. Suddenly you're in jail. And you, you've, got a, you, you've got a choice. Either give up Jesus or they're going to take me in there, they're going to flog me, they're going to beat me, they're going to do terrible, terrible, terrible things. And these guys were very creative at punishing and torturing. They were extremely creative at doing it. If you read some of the accounts of the ways Christians were punished, it's quite graphic. right? As much as it's hard to read, it's worth the read. And by the way, we see things far more graphically on TV today. So I think we can all handle it. Do you know what I'm saying? We've seen terrible, terrible things on TV. Haven't we? Anyone ever seen a horror movie? Or seen a bad movie or an action movie where there's lots of blood and guts and all that sort of stuff? It's normal. It's normal today, you know. So numerous lies were made up during the time, uh, during this time, to harm the Christians. Some so outrageous that only unthinking hate could believe them such as the Christians were responsible for every famine, epidemic and earthquake. How'd you be that you're blamed for every famine on earth, every epidemic, any bad, bad things taking place, and every earthquake? That's what they were blamed for. That afflicted any part of the Roman Empire. Money was offered to those who would testify against Christians, and many innocent people were slaughtered for financial gain. When Christians were brought before Domitian's council, they were told that if they swore an oath of allegiance to him, they would be set free. Those who refused to take the oath were killed, and those who said they were Christian were also killed. The martyr during this time with whom we are most familiar was Timothy. Who knows the book of Timothy? It's Paul's, one of Paul's favourites who was a celebrated disciple of the Apostle Paul and overseer of the church in Ephesus until AD 97. In that year, the Ephesian pagans were celebrating a feast called Catagogian. When Timothy saw their pagan procession, he blocked their way and severely rebuked them for their idolatry. His holy boldness angered the pagans and they attacked him with clubs and beat him so badly that he died of his injuries two days later. That would be the equivalent of standing before the gay Mardi Gras in Sydney and standing up and not letting them pass and severely rebuking them with loudspeakers for what they're doing. And then everyone in the gay Mardi Gras is jumping on them and beating, beating the life out of, out of you. you know? So is that a trial? Mm-hmm. We're all called to different levels of trials. But it does say in the scriptures, and we can tell from... Um, end time scenarios from uh, what the Bible talks about, the end times that lay ahead, that this kind of persecution will come upon the face of the whole earth. 
does not it say that? Mm-hmm. Now, what, what's interesting about Western Christians, and I've always found this fascinating, is because we live in a peacetime community, it's not a very popular message, even to those that are really, you know, want to hear truth, truth, truth. When you start speaking about this kind of martyrdom kind of stuff, it's still a very unpopular message, even among the best of us. It doesn't sound nice. But as we know right now, is there, are there martyrs right now, just like this, in some countries in the world? Are Christians being slaughtered right now in some countries? You know, families, you know, uh, Muslims surrounding homes and pulling out the families and killing the children in front of the parents and stuff like that. Should we not be uh, speaking about that here? People say, well, don't speak about it. The church is not very nice. But that's happening to Christians right now. Could be, right now, there could be a family surrounded by Muslims getting killed. Right now, right this second. So what we've got to do is, first of all, we've got to um, feel for them as if we were there with them so we can pray. Amen? And we should be praying. The scriptures say, pray for your brothers and sisters who are suffering in this way. So we should be praying for them. You know, and ask yourself, when was the last time I prayed for them? So we should be praying for them. But also, check your own heart. Are you prepared? Are you ready? If you're called to it, are you ready? Have you already settled in your heart that no matter what happens, I'm not going to renounce Jesus Christ? Have you got that part of your life settled? You know, I asked myself that question 20 years ago. And I settled it. Sure, you know, I was up and down in my faith from then on, but I settled in my heart. One thing I'll never do is renounce Jesus Christ in the face of terrible, terrible situations. And I think every Christian should be checked with that. Amen. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about a great falling away at the end times. That, that Christians are going to fall away from the faith like, like nobody's business. A massive falling away. The Christian church will go from what, it, what they estimate to be something like 2.2 billion at the moment. It would probably go down into the hundreds of thousands. And there's going to be people just giving up the faith, giving it up. Why? Because they're going to be threatened at a level that they've never known, were never prepared for. Just like Corrie Ten Boom in China, the Christians were not prepared for what was about to happen. And when, when the persecution came, most fell away. Most fell away. You know, the first ones that will fall away are the, just, the, just the purely you know, traditional uh, cultural Christians. The Christians that were just brought up believing in a certain thing and they never really followed Christ, but they just believed in a, any old way. The second ones that will follow away are those that fear circumstances and fear man more than they fear God. And then what's going to be left uh, is the refined group, the tight-knit group that uh, uh, will, no matter what happens, they will not give up their faith. Cannot give up their faith. Amen? Is that you? You know, be prepared in your heart. Ask yourself these questions. I'm bringing it up, I don't know why, you know. Um, whether uh, persecution is coming sooner or later, it doesn't matter. It's got to be settled sometime. Amen. Yeah. Now I'm going to uh, continue from uh, James 1.13 next week. Um, but uh, I hope it's been helpful in some ways. But uh, it's it, who would say that this is necessary? Absolutely. Yeah. To be ready. Andy, you study in uh, world events. Is it getting pretty bad out there? 
Absolutely. Week by week. Week by week. It's progressing and it's getting worse and worse. And is the church ready? I don't think so. I don't think that <laughs> most churches don't even talk about end times. You know, a lot of churches, mega churches, are not even allowed to preach from Revelation. Yeah, you, well, you can preach on a, a, a nice little scripture from there that says something nice, but they won't go into it mm-hmm. and talk about it. All the words in Matthew 24, you know, um, when it talks about rumours and wars and rumours and wars and all that, they won't want to go there because it's not nice. It doesn't make people feel good. People walk out going, oh, man, what have I got myself into believing in Jesus? <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. But think of it this way. Just I'm going to finish on this. And, uh, and I know there's two, two soldiers here. Soldiers or ex-soldiers? Both ex-soldiers. They're the tough-looking guys at the back there. <laughs> tough, but the softest hearts in the world. And, um, and, and Anthony, you look like a soldier too, so I'll just throw you in there with them. But when you joined the, joined the Australian Army, were you prepared to die for your country? Yeah. You'd be crazy if you joined the Australian Army and weren't prepared to die for your country, wouldn't you? I tried joining, and I wasn't prepared to die for my country. So you didn't take me. Uh, well, there you, go. you have to be prepared to die. You've got to lay your life down for your country to defend your country, don't you? That's what it's all about. Now, thank God you guys didn't die in battle. But your hearts were prepared for it, if need be. And if you're leg got blown off, you couldn't turn to your commanding officer and say, what is this? I've never signed up for this. You know, you can't do that. You, you have to be ready to die. Now, you're, you're, you guys were ready to die for your country. How much more should we be prepared to die for our law? Right? Can your country save you from hell? Can your country keep you out of the death realm? So who's greater to be prepared to die for than than Jesus? Jesus is the greatest. He can keep you out of hell. He can keep you from death. That's that's why the scriptures always talk about Christians who die as being in a sleep. They sleep. They sleep. Their bodies sleep until the resurrection because they get them back. So isn't that, shouldn't that just be the normal mindset of a Christian? Actually, we should never get an older call, should never turn, uh, let, uh, let someone become a Christian until they say, yeah, I'm prepared to die for Jesus. It should be like, you know, you couldn't get in the army because you weren't prepared to go in the battle. You should be, well, you can't come in to the body of Christ unless you're prepared to die for Jesus. It should be, shouldn't it? That's a new way of doing older calls. 20 people come to the front, okay, who's going to sign this? 10 walk away. Give them the choice. The choice, another way of keeping the church small. <laughs> so, what do we do? We deceive them, bring them in, and then, you know, a year later, by the way, you know, you could die in battle. No, that's not the way to go. All right, so shall we pray? Yep. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just give you praise, I give you glory for this message. And Lord, in my in my heart, I feel like I've gone in different directions, Lord, and it probably could have sounded like that. But Holy Spirit, I felt that you were really leading me, and so I trusted in you. Yes. And I thank you that everyone here is um, able to uh, receive what the word that was said. So, Lord, I give you praise and glory for today's message, and I, I give you a thank you for these wonderful people that have sat under the message today. And I pray that each and every one of us here will be stirred, 
They've all gone home and we'll check on ourselves. We'll check our faith. We'll check how committed we are to you. We'll check the kinds of life that we've been leading and start asking those important questions, those questions that you're going to ask at judgment. Am I living for you? Am I believing correct doctrine? Am I ashamed of you or am I uh, rejoicing that, I'm in, that I have salvation in you? So Lord, help us to, as Christians, to have that martyr attitude, being prepared to die, being coming a soldier of the, of the cross. And uh, Lord, I, uh, I pray that every single one of us will go to new levels of faith as we embrace these words today. And so Lord, just guide us and direct us, and keep us in, on your path, and uh, help us to really um, reconcile everything that was spoken. Help it to be a message that we don't just blow off and walk away from, but that we really do uh, let it stir us and change us and, and, and uh, help us to become the people we're meant to be as you predestined us to be when you created us before uh, the earth was created. That when you saw us, before we were placed in a mother's womb, you wanted us to be holy, which is what your word says in Ephesians. So Lord, uh, bless us today and uh, bless the fellowship time and may your spirit move among us all. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.